They say America is dead But there's a lot of people lying And there's a lot left unsaid Biden has made it clear that his number one mission as president is to undo everything that the Trump administration accomplished over the last four years. His newest cancellation simply doesn't make any sense. Biden's administration recently canceled Operation Talon, a Trump administration program aimed at removing convicted sex offenders living in the United States illegally. Though the program seems to be something everyone should support, it clearly isn't. Why would anyone want sex offenders to remain in the country? South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson joined a coalition of 18 state attorney generals to urge Biden to reverse the cancellation, according to ABC4 News. They said, quote, we're working hard to fight human trafficking and sex crimes in South Carolina and allowing convicted sex offenders who are here illegally to remain in our country makes absolutely no sense, Wilson said. And he said, these trafficking and sex crimes are repugnant to human decency generally and to children specifically. The letter directed to Joe Biden, the Department of Homeland Security, Secretary Alejandro Morocas, and acting director of ICE, Tay Johnson, pointed out the problems with this cancellation. The attorneys general argued that canceling Operation Talon would encourage sexual predators to attack. Quote, the United States population of illegal immigrants includes disturbingly large numbers of criminals with prior convictions for sexual crimes, the letter reads. According to data collected by Syracuse University's Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, during the period from October 2014 to May 2018, ICE arrested 19,572 illegal aliens with criminal convictions for whom the most serious prior conviction was a conviction for a sex-related offense. Meanwhile, an increasing number of illegal aliens are entering the United States after having been previously convicted of sexual offenses, the letter continues. The cancellation of Operation Talon effectively broadcasts to the world that the United States is now a sanctuary jurisdiction for sexual predators. This message creates a perverse incentive for foreign sexual predators to seek to enter the United States illegally and assault more victims, both in the process of unlawful migration and after they arrive. It will also broadcast a message to other criminal aliens who have committed other offenses that any kind of robust enforcement against them is unlikely. The letter begs perhaps the most important question. If the United States will not remove even convicted sex offenders, whom will it remove? In addition to South Carolina, the state attorneys general that signed onto the letter includes Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. Listen to me, people. Biden wants to legalize human trafficking by making it consensual. What do I mean by that? If the victim consents, there is no law that's been broken, no kidnapping, no rape, no murder. Let me ask you this question. How can a three-year-old or a six-year-old, even a 10-year-old, even a 13-year-old consent to being trafficked, consent to sex. They don't even know what it is. 
Hey everyone and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate, where everyone needs to be aware of what is going on around them. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. If you're a fan of the show, thank you for your support and listening. You all are awesome. If you want to talk to me live, this is a call-in show. So if you want to make a comment, give a statement, or just voice your opinion, just click on the Skype button on my website, aroundthecampfirewithkate.blogspot.com, or go to publicstreamingnetwork.com and click on Skype. Tonight's show is a preparation for Thursday night's show where I will be playing the movie Contraland, Stag Sawman Sawyer. The movie is the true account of human trafficking within the borders of the United States. It is not all-inclusive of what transpires, yet it depicts what Mr. Sawyer does with his team, Veterans for Child Rescue. Hi, I just got an email from you that said to call ASAP. The ad that I've got was for, uh, for sex with me and my stepdaughter. She's 13. They don't consider how it affects the child. There are two forces at work. There's, there's good and there is evil. And evil is active and it is real. And if people don't realize that it needs to be combated, not just ignored, uh, it will never go away. That's the message that needs to get out to the public. It shouldn't surprise you that this is happening. These people are coming right into your home through your kids' computers, through their laptops, through their cell phones. You check the house at night. You lock the doors. You make sure that the garage door is down. You make sure that your house is secure. And then you send your child to bed with a cell phone. You might as well be just opening the window and inviting the predator right in. If they're coming into this country illegally, it almost always has a nexus to the uh, drug and human trafficking aspect uh, coming into this country. It will shock the American public to to see that even in nice communities like this, that this level of predation is so pervasive. It's going to be shocking, but it's something that we all need to understand if we're to safeguard our kids again. People need to know, first and foremost, regarding trafficking, is that it is real. Everybody has access to your kids like they've never had access to your kids before. Last week, NICMIC received 131,487 incidents of child pornography, six uh, child sex tourism, and 164 child sex trafficking. They, they worked a total of 132,034 cases last week. What Vets for Child Rescue does to take predators off the streets is we run sting operations. We do it jointly with law enforcement. We run the sting. We bring them to law enforcement and then hand that incriminated predator directly to law enforcement on location. People just need to be convinced that it's real. From and, and th from then on, I think they will tap into who they are as Americans, and they will rise up, and they will then 
create this movement. I've deployed elsewhere to fulfill my oath to protect Americans, and now I'm deploying with Vets for Child Rescue here to the United States to defend our children. That's what matters to me. That's what that's what calls to me. And if people want to say nice things. trafficking. But I decided to do something a little bit different. I'll get into the graphics on a different show. Now, because people can be sold every day, human trafficking is the third largest criminal enterprise in the world. Victims are often forced into prostitution and subjected to slavery and involuntary servitude. This growing pandemic is in every city and every town across North America. There's an organization called the Baptist Friendship House, and they're working daily to rescue trafficked victims. The Friendship House provides for their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And most importantly, they give the victims hope. Let's hit Star's story. The Baptist Friendship House heroes picked a busy street to find girls who were in need. They saw Star, scared and hungry. They fed and brought her to the Friendship House. She was immediately given medical attention. After Star had showered and picked out some clothes, she rested. The trust was slowly building in Star's heart. She opened up and shared her testimony. Star grew up in a rural area. She had a baby at a very early age. She lived with her mother and did not have transportation and was having trouble finding a job. 
When Starr posted her struggles on social media, a trafficker read her information, saw she was vulnerable, and knew exactly how to lure her in. And the trafficker lied. He told Starr he had a legitimate business and promised that she could make a lot of money working for him. Starr left her little girl with her mom because the job was out of state. The trafficker introduced her to another group of girls that he had, and it was there out of her comfort zone and away from her family that the the trafficker told Starr what he was really going to do with her. He told her about his escort service and how he would be placing an ad for her on social networking sites. He explained men would call and set up an appointment with her, and she would be forced to meet them in their hotel rooms. A star could probably have run at this point, but he told her if she wanted to see her little five-year-old daughter alive again, that she would have to do what he said. Star was trafficked through five different states before she met someone she trusted enough to tell part of her story to. She realized that without help, she was never going to see her family again. Star's trusted friend had seen a billboard with the human trafficking hotline number on it, and it's written 888-373-7888, so it can easily be memorized. Star called the number, and that's when the Baptist Friendship House stepped in and got Star back to her family safely. And then there's Tammy's story. The doorbell rang. Tammy, a 16-year-old girl, could barely stand in the entrance of the Baptist Friendship House. She hadn't eaten or slept in three days, and she collapsed the minute she was invited in. Tammy had been experiencing difficulties at home. She felt lonely, unseen, and unheard until she was befriended on social media. A trafficker had found her and learned about her weaknesses. He pretended to be Tammy's boyfriend. The trafficker in disguise bought Tammy a bus ticket to New Orleans, met her at the station, took her to Bourbon Street, and got her drunk. The next morning, she awoke in an abandoned house where multiple people were inducing her and others with drugs. They planned on selling the girls during a big event in the city later that day. But Tammy happened to stumble across the Baptist Friendship House doorstep, looking for a bathroom. She was circling death. But she was given something to eat and some serious advice. Tammy's heroes at the house sat with her while she napped because she was afraid to sleep alone. They arranged for a safe way to get her out of danger. Tammy journeyed home with a backpack full of donated toiletry items, snack packs, and Bibles. Then there's Kara's story. Kara grew up in a small country town. Her family struggled with substance abuse, so at a young age, Kara found herself struggling to survive. She believed she was a throwaway. Her vulnerability made her easy prey for a trafficker. Kara was 18. The trafficker made Kara think that she could make lots of money, and he promised her that she could buy a car and her own home. And a home was all she wanted. Yet the trafficker didn't follow through on those golden promises. There was no home. Instead, Kara and the other girls were taken from city to city to be sold. They were on a circuit, 
hitting big events, which made it harder for law enforcement to catch the trafficker. When law enforcement conducted a special operation, Kara was arrested for prostitution. A member of the Baptist Friendship House believed Kara was a survivor of human trafficking and asked to interview her to verify. Though Kara took all the blame, she eventually shared that her trafficker had told her what to say. The rescuer gave Kara the Baptist Friendship House Google number, which is an untraceable number. Kara called it the next morning. She did not have a home to go back to. Kara had realized the trafficker had filled her head with lies. And while staying at the house, Kara learned a skill and found employment. She moved into her own, her own apartment, which the Baptist Friendship House and many churches helped furnish for her. And Kara could not believe that there were no people could actually love her for her. And today, Kara is grateful for her arrest because without it, her life would not have changed. Then there's Dee's story. Sometimes all it takes is a sign from a hometown or a village. The phone at Baptist Friendship House rang. Two local women from church had come across a young, frightened Indonesian lady named Dee. Can we bring her to the Friendship House? The woman asked. They brought Dee, but she was terrified, not saying much at all. And one staff member from, from, from the Friendship House remembered a beautiful Indonesian shawl that was a gift to her. Thinking it would bring Dee some comfort and allow her to trust the Friendship House staff, she went and retrieved the scarf. It happened to be unique to Dee's village. Her face lit up as she recognized the scarf from the village. Dee smiled for the first time. God was working. Dee shared how an education program in her country promised she could come to the United States and live the American dream. She could make lots of money, have a house, go to school, and more. And certain hospitality organizations in America supposedly sponsored her visa to get her here. Yet the educational program and hospitality organization were highly organized trafficking rings. When she arrived in the United States, she found out the truth about the organization. She was able to run away from her perpetrators without being killed. The Baptist Friendship House provided Dee's insider information to the National Human Trafficking Hotline and to law enforcement so they could shut the trafficking ring down. Addie's story. Addie met a guy at school. He was her friend for over a year. And little did she know, he spent that year learning all about her. He found out her weaknesses and her vulnerabilities. He gained her trust and was always around if she needed anything. Addie's friend knew she had always wanted to visit New Orleans. One October day, he told Addie of a friend who lived in New Orleans. He asked her to go with him to visit. He said they could go to a voodoo fest. Addie excitedly agreed. However, when they arrived in New Orleans, Addie was sold to the friend. The man was a trafficker. Through threats and manipulation, he took her to a hotel and began advertising her on social networking sites. 
the manager of the hotel where Addie was locked away, had been allowing one of Baptist Friendship House's ministries to place soap bars in the rooms with the human trafficking hotline number on it. Addie was in a room that had one of those soap bars. She saw the number on the wrapping and called for help. The Baptist Friendship House was able to get her to safety, meet her friends, and take her back home to her family. Myrna's story. Myrna and her daughter lived in a hotel where Myrna worked many grueling hours as a housekeeper. Her employer charged her for the room where they stayed and paid her little to no salary. A staff member of the Friendship House befriended Myrna and her daughter and built trust with the family. The staff member eventually realized Myrna was being labor trafficked. The hotel manager had been threatening and manipulating Myrna into doing whatever he asked. Myrna had felt stuck with no way out. The Friendship House took Myrna's case to the immigration attorney to inform their office of Myrna's situation. Eventually, Myrna and her daughter were able to leave the hotel and have their needs met through the Friendship House. Listen, people. Human trafficking is the fastest-growing criminal industry in the world. In the world. Listen to this. German nuns sold orphaned children to sexual predators. In a report, the German authorities tried to silence the shows, and it shows how Catholic nuns peddled orphaned boys to predatory priests and perverts for decades. A jarring report out of Rome outlined decades of rampant child sexual abuse at the hands of greedy nuns and perverted priests paints a troubling picture of systemic abuse in the German church. The report is the byproduct of a lawsuit alleging that orphaned boys living in the boarding house of the Order of the Sisters of the Divine Redeemer were sold or loaned for weeks at a time to predatory priests and businessmen in a sick rape trade. The men involved in the lawsuit say as boys they were denied being adopted out or sent to foster families because selling them for rape lined the sisters' coffers for their convent of horrors. Some of the boys were then groomed to be sex slaves to perverts, the report claims. The alleged abuse went on for years, with one of the males claiming the nuns even frequently visited their college dorms after they'd left the convent. He said the nuns often drugged him and delivered him to predators' apartments. The Order of Sisters of the Divine Redeemer did not answer multiple requests for comment about these allegations. A second lawsuit first reported by Welle last year, came after a separate case against the German church led by 63-year-old Karl Hawk, who demanded that Archdiocese of Cologne carry out a full investigation into clerical sex crimes, which it concluded in January 2021. But the details of that investigative report were so horrific that the Archbishop Rainier Maria Walkie refused to make it public, demanding that any journalist who see it sign a confidentiality agreement. 
Eight German journalists walked out of a press conference in January after being denied access to the church's investigation unless they agreed not to publish its contents. Hawk said he was abused at least once a week between the ages of 11 and 14, often by more than one priest. He said, we had no words to describe what was being done to us, nor did we know what it meant, and it did not stop at physical pain. We had a clear sense of humiliation and being used, he told the Deutsche Welle when the report was due to be released. He called the stifling of the report's release in January's scandalous and said that denying the journalists the right to publish the report was like being abused all over again. Several lawyers with access to the 560-page report on the nuns have shared segments with news outlets, including the Daily Beast. The report names various German businessmen and complicit clergy who rented the young boys from the nuns who ran a convent in Spire, Germany, between the 1960s and the 1970s. Among the worst instances of abuse were gangbangs and orgies that the young boys were forced to participate in before being returned to the convent, where the nuns would punish them because they had wrinkled their clothes or being covered in semen. Bishop Karl Heinz Wiseman, who now leads the archdiocese, said the abuse report was so gory that it would be too shocking to make public. The report finds that 175 people, mostly boys, between the ages of 8 and 14, were abused over two decades. But it failed to blame the nuns directly, instead saying systematic management errors and leniency for those who were accused by the children enabled the abuse to continue. Hawk, who led the victim's group until he resigned over the censoring of the report, says Walkie told them, in October of 2020, that the report was not legally watertight and contained inadmissible prejudices against the Catholic Church that were fed by scandals going on elsewhere. The survivors were used again, he said, referring to the cooperation in the report only to have it kept private. He said, people who have already been damaged in their lives by clergymen are being damaged again to protect the same institution that abused them. The lawsuits also spawned a survey within religious orders that found that 1,412 people who lived in or frequented the convents, parishes, and monasteries were abused as children, teenagers, and wards by at least 654 monks, nuns, and other members of the orders. Around 80% of the victims surveyed were male and 20% female. The survey also found that 80% of the abusers are now dead and 37 of those had left the priesthood or the religious order. The Archdiocese of Cologne told the Daily Beast in a statement that the reason the report was not published was that it failed to fully explain the methodology of the research. But Bishop Carl Heinz Wiseman who now leads the Archdiocese, said that the abuse report was so gory it would be too shocking to make public. Wiseman told the Catholic news agency KNA that after reading it, he had to take a month's sabbatical to recover. And he said, I too have limited energy for the burdens that I have to carry. 
The main abusers in the report are now dead, and many of the victims have settled with the church for financial compensation, which has now prohibited them from joining the lawsuit. The Archdiocese now plans to publish a new revised, an undoubtedly heavily redacted edition of the report when it comes out in March. Traffickers are not limited to the stealing of children and selling them. Traffickers are also people who are trusted. Who doesn't trust a nun or a priest or a clergy, a pastor of a church? Traffickers are utilizing a steep rise in unemployment and illegal child marriage to exploit vulnerable people, vulnerable people not only in the United States, but in Kenya. The COVID pandemic has caused an alarming uptick in child marriages across Kenya. Although illegal, more and more families are resorting to marrying off their daughters for a dowry payment that will keep them afloat. Experts fear that this worrying trend will not only reverse efforts made to eradicate child marriage, but act as a silent precursor to trafficking as criminals have a bigger playground to hunt on and trap already vulnerable young girls under the guise of cultural traditions. Kenya's Directorate of Criminal Investigations has reported rescuing over 150 children from trafficking syndicates since 2017. Rebecca Liskarten, Director of Operations at Stop the Traffic Global, a United Kingdom-based organization, tells Vice World News that pandemic-induced financial distress is making individuals and families increasingly vulnerable to being exploited by criminals. She said, during this pandemic, we are seeing a rise in people suddenly facing financial hardship due to factors such as job losses. When people are stressed, the due diligence they take on a job often reduces because they're focused on finding a way to put food on the table, pay their rent, and just survive. Liz Garten continues, distress also impacts discernment between legitimate jobs and those that are potentially too good to be true particularly in cases where people were looking for work in industries that they've never looked into before. This makes it harder for victims to ask themselves, is it normal that they ask for my passport? Is it normal that they're picking me up at four o'clock in the morning? Well, let's talk about Layla. Layla is sitting on a wooden stool in the far left corner of her room trembling and scared. When the prospect of greener pastors had presented itself in the form of a chirpy agent who promised Layla a well-paying job as a domestic worker in Saudi Arabia, she jumped at the opportunity. The thought of earning 47,000 Kenya shillings per month, a figure that was three times her current income, seemed almost too good to be true. All she needed was her passport, and the agent assured her that he would take care of the rest. As her flight took off from Como Kenyatta International Airport, she dreamt of soon being able to help alleviate her family's money problems. 
But unbeknownst to Layla, she was about to be sucked into a vortex that was almost impossible to escape. Like countless victims of human trafficking, Layla arrived in Saudi Arabia and soon discovered that her job did exist, but it was far from what she had envisioned and what she was told prior to her departure. Misty-eyed, she recalls having her passport taken and being thrust into a dark world of grueling forced labor and sexual exploitation. She said, I was taken to a household where I was forced to work 16 hours a day, almost every single day of the week. I never got a day off. I never got paid because they told me they had sent the money to my agent. Every day I faced verbal and physical abuse from the woman that I worked for. And when she was not around, I was sexually abused by her husband and his friends. Layla is not alone. According to the United States Department of State's Trafficking in Persons Report, she was one of the 853 victims of human trafficking from Kenya in 2019. Trapped in the notorious kafala system, which binds foreign workers to their employer, or kafil, who sponsored their visa, Layla saw no way out. She said, the helplessness I felt. I wished I wouldn't would wish this on anyone, not even my worst enemy, she says. I couldn't escape, you know. I wasn't even allowed to leave the house without permission. It was like my entire life was stolen from me right in front of my eyes. My freedom. My dignity. I can't tell you how many nights I cried myself to sleep. As the COVID-19 pandemic approached its one-year anniversary, a new report from the United Nations Office of Drug and Crime warns that the perfect storm for human trafficking is silently brewing in its shadow. The annual study finds the pandemic-induced rise in global suffering has created a goldmine for traffickers who are infamous for thriving in socioeconomic turbulence. As restrictions on movement drive line on drive life online traffickers have followed suit utilizing internet advertiser advertisements and social media to hunt and coerce new victims into exploitation in the third quarter of 2020 the economic shock from the covid-19 pandemic pushed kenya into its first recession in almost two decades an unprecedented economic downturn that has left more than 1.7 million kenyans kenyans redundant according to the kenyan national bureau of statistics although the world bank forecasts kenya's economic economy will have a strong rebound in 2021. There is growing concern that shortcomings in social protection programs will exacerbate existing vulnerabilities. Thus far, the National Treasury has allocated $88.4 billion in funding towards poverty reduction and social protection for vulnerable groups, whilst impacts of funding have been far-reaching. Oxfam highlights that this budget covers only 14% of the monthly basic needs of a family of four in Nairobi's informal settlements. 
in an attempt to spearhead human trafficking, Kenya implemented the Counter-Trafficking in Persons Act of 2010. Under this act, persons found guilty of trafficking as part of an organized criminal group are liable to imprisonment for a term of not less than five years and or a fine, not less than five million, million shillings or both. The act was designed to dismantle illicit criminal networks and be strong deterrent to syndicates involved in the trafficking of persons. But if hiding, fighting human trafficking in Africa, a lucrative industry which the African Center of Strategic Studies estimates to be worth $13.1 billion last year alone, has not been easy. Corruption has also been found so significantly hinder investigations and data-gathering efforts as victims of human trafficking often steer away from reporting their cases to the police due to distrust and fear of the criminal justice system. Lawyers from the International Bar Association highlight that prosecutors for trafficking are rare, and in the event that they do take place, lawyers are often ill-prepared to fight the case as they struggle to secure case, case reports and judgments due to systemic corruption in the ranks. Kenya is ranked as a Tier 2 nation by the United States Department of State Office to monitor and combat trafficking in persons, signaling that although the government of Kenya does not fully meet the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking, it is making significant efforts to do so. Layla was eventually rescued by the Kenyan embassy after her family reported her missing when they didn't hear from her. Though Layla has revealed that her family had to press the embassy on the issue for months before they finally took action. And I'll be right back after these messages. Come listen to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show Tuesday and Thursday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for the best in late-night conservatarian wireless talk radio at shrmedia.com. Raised as a free-range child with dirt and freedom, BZ is broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California. Jump into our plush, sumptuous, palatial, and resplendent chat room at shrmedia.com. Now, with 18% more umbrage and 20% more bulbosity than previous shows, and with delicious Liberty Additives. Remember, BZ realizes that with great beard comes great responsibility. No chinchillas were harmed, embarrassed, or the focus of any sarcasm whatsoever in the making of this ad. Hey, Mom, why is the sky blue? Why don't animals talk? Why do dogs have wet noses? Why is an 11 pronounced 1-T-1? Kids ask a lot of questions. Why do I have a belly button? But you don't have to know every answer. Why is the ocean salty? Because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Why are there 50 states? There are thousands of children in foster care who don't need every question answered. Why is pizza round? They just need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. This year, firefighters like Fire Chief James Hall will battle wildfires around the country in hopes of containing them. But firefighters can't do it alone. A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel more than a mile, or it can ignite and destroy your home and community. Get Fire Adapted. Learn simple steps you can take now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. 
Mental disorders are common in the United States and internationally. An estimate 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness. Now this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown. If you find yourself laying in bed on a Sunday night hearing voices while you're trying to sleep, well it might not be that demonic being from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep. It might just be your mental illness starting to kick in. So if you're out of meds for the night, then I have just a thing. Come listen to my show, The Jackal's Head. See you there. This ad has been paid for by The Jackal's Head and the War on Terror. War. It's fantastic. Springfield, Missouri. According to Business Insider since 2007, Almost 50,000 cases of human trafficking have been reported in the United States. That's an average of 150 calls per day. A local group is using a creative way to raise awareness for human trafficking. They live a nightmare, a horrific nightmare, said Robin Harrison with a local group, Artists Against Trafficking. It's not just physical abuse, it's psychological. We think this happens in other worlds where there's poverty, she said. The United States is one of the worst countries in the world for human trafficking. That's our daughters. It's our nieces. It's our nephews. And it's not just out there. It's people next door. And it's happening down Interstate 44. And Robin shared an example of someone who went through trafficking right there in Springfield, Missouri, not being aware that they were being dragged into part of a sex trafficking, Robin said. It was several months up to a year. They tried to get out because they were drugged and they couldn't get out. It makes it so much harder for them to be able to leave because they feel guilty. They feel like they're part of the reason why they're even there. It's like they play mind games, she said. Advocates emphasized the number of children involved in the multi-million dollar trafficking industry just in the state of Missouri alone. Incidents of young children and babies is growing. Young girls, 12 years old, said Robin. They're children that have been lured against their will and drugged. And even if victims get out of the situation, they still have to live with the trauma for the rest of their lives. It's rape. It's against humanity. It's wrong, said Robin. It's wrong, and it's happening under our noses, and we've got to stop it. A lot of survivors, and they will struggle with suicidal thoughts and depression, and they will suffer from trust issues said Robin. They deserve hope. They deserve compassion. We need to become aware. We need to become involved and we need to stop this in our country. Anyone can join the fight against human trafficking. And here are 20 ideas just to consider. One, learn the indicators of human trafficking. 
you can take training or you can go to the TIP office's website. Human trafficking awareness training is available for individuals, businesses, first responders, law enforcement, educators, just basic lay people, teachers. Everyone has the potential to discover a human trafficking situation. While the victims may sometimes be kept behind locked doors, they are often hidden right in front of all of us. For example, construction sites, restaurants, elder care systems, agriculture fields, hotels. Traffickers use coercion, threats of deportation, harm to the victim and their family. It's so powerful that even if you reach out to the victims, they may be too fearful to accept your help. Knowing indicators of human trafficking and some follow-up questions will help you act on your gut feeling that something is wrong and report it. I would rather you report it and be wrong than to not report it and be right. Some of the human traffickers indicator, while this is not an exhaustive list, these are some key red flags that could alert you to a potential trafficking situation that should be reported. Do they live with their employer? Are they in poor living conditions? Multiple people in cramped spaces. We covered this a couple of weeks ago. Inability to speak to individuals alone. Answers appear to be scripted or rehearsed. The employer is holding identity documents. Signs of physical abuse. Submissive or fearful. Unpaid or paid very little. Are they under 18 and in prostitution? And assuming that you have the opportunity to speak with a potential victim privately and without jeopardizing the victim's safety because the trafficker is watching, here's some sample questions that you can ask to follow up on the red flags that you've become alerted to. Can you leave your job if you want to? Can you come and go as you please? Have you been hurt or threatened if you tried to leave? Has your family been threatened? Do you live with your employer? Where do you sleep and eat? Are you in debt to your employer? Do you have your passport? Any identification? If you don't, who has it? If you believe that you have identified someone in the trafficking situation, alert law enforcement immediately. It may be unsafe to attempt to rescue a trafficking victim if you don't if you're not trained and you do not know what you're doing. You have no way of knowing how the trafficker may react and retaliate against the victim and you. But if you identify a victim who has escaped the trafficking situation, there's a number of organizations to whom the victim can be referred for for help with shelter, medical care, legal assistance, and critical services. You can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. 1-888-373-7888. For urgent situations, notify law enforcement immediately by calling 911. You may also want to alert, again, the National Human Trafficking Hotline so that they can ensure the response by law enforcement officials. 
knowledgeable about human trafficking. That number again is 1-888-373-7888. It's a 24-hour, toll-free, multilingual, anti-trafficking hotline. You can report a tip, connect with an anti-trafficking services in your area, or request a training and technical assistance, general information, or specific anti-trafficking resources. The hotline is equipped to handle calls from all regions of the United States from a wide range of callers that include, but not limited to, potential trafficking victims, community members, law enforcement, medical professionals, legal professionals, service providers, researchers, students, and policymakers. If you are in the United States and believe someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the 24-hour National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 or report an emergency to law enforcement by calling 911. Trafficking victims, whether or not United States citizens, are eligible for services and immigration assistance. Be conscientious and informed consumer. Find out about who may have picked your tomatoes or made your clothes at responsiblesourcetool.org or check out the Department of Labor's list of good produce by child labor or forced labor. Encourage companies to take steps to prevent human trafficking in their supply chains and publish the information, including supplier or factory lists for consumer awareness. Volunteer and support anti-trafficking efforts in your community. Meet with and or write to your local state and federal officials to let them know that you care about combating human trafficking and ask what they're doing to address it. Be well informed. Set up a web alert to receive current human trafficking news in your area. Also check out CNN's Freedom Project for more stories on the different forms of human trafficking around the world. And that might be the only thing that I believe CNN would be good for. You can host an awareness raising event to watch and discuss films about human trafficking. For example, learn how modern day slavery exists. Watch an investigative documentary about sex trafficking. Or watch my next show on Thursday night with Craig Salman Sawyer in the movie Contraland. You will learn a lot. Discover how forced labor can affect global food supply chains. Alternatively, contact your local library and ask for assistance identifying an appropriate book and ask them to host an event. Organize a fundraiser and donate the proceeds to an anti-trafficking organization. There are several legitimate anti-trafficking organizations out there that can use support. Encourage your local schools or school district to include human trafficking in their curricula and to develop protocols for identifying and reporting a suspected case of human trafficking or responding to a potential victim. Now, the term victim and survivor can be problematic for those affected by trafficking. And by using them in this resource, we do not mean to label or define anyone's experience. Instead, we use them for clarity and to be consistent with language that is currently standard throughout the literature on this issue. In practice, educators are encouraged to be mindful of the power of these terms and to determine 
and dialogue with students impacted by trafficking, how they can prefer to be referenced. According to federal law, human trafficking is the exploitation of a person through force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of forced labor, commercial sex, or both. Victims of human trafficking include adults and children, both United States and foreign nationals. Of 22,326 trafficking victims and survivors identified through contacts with the National Human Trafficking Hotline in 2019, at least 5,359 were under age 18. Many underage victims of human trafficking are students in the American school system. No community, school, socioeconomic group, or student demographic is immune. Cases of child trafficking are found in every area of the country, rural, suburban, and urban settings alike. Few crimes are more abhorrent than human trafficking, and few crimes are more challenging for communities to recognize and address. For many people, the reality of trafficking in their community is difficult to comprehend, let alone confront. Yet communities, including schools, are beginning to take proactive action against human trafficking. It is fitting that schools take on this challenge. Of all social institutions, schools are perhaps the best positioned to identify and report suspected trafficking and connect affected students to critical services. Schools can and should be safe places for students, and even more so for students whose lives are otherwise characterized by instability and lack of safety and security. Everyone who is part of the school's community administrators, counselors, nurses, mental health professionals has the potential to be an advocate for children who have been exploited. School community members must first learn the factors that make students vulnerable to trafficking and how to identify the warning signs. Although they play a crucial role, school personnel cannot and should not address these complex issues alone. Effectively responding to human trafficking demands increased awareness and clearly defined policies, protocols, and procedures supported by collaboration with child protective services, social services, community-based service providers, and law enforcement if appropriate. This guide is intended to provide awareness of the current prevalence of child trafficking and the forms it takes. Information on risk factors and indicators of child trafficking. Details about three prevention tiers and the implications for school roles in addressing child trafficking. Information on how professional development of school staff and prevention education for students and families can reduce the likelihood of trafficking and details on how policies, protocols, and partnerships with other community sectors can help prevent trafficking. Use your social media platforms to raise awareness about human trafficking using hashtags like hashtag end trafficking or hashtag freedom first. Think about whether your workplace is trauma informed and reach out to management or the human resources team to urge implementation of trauma informed business trafficking practices. Become a mentor to a young person or someone in need. Traffickers often target people who are going through a difficult time or who lack strong support systems. As a mentor, you can be involved in a new and positive experience in that person's life during a formative time.
Parents and caregivers learn how human traffickers often target and recruit youth and who to turn to for help in potentially dangerous situations. Host community conversations with parent-teacher associations. Learn how to recognize trafficker recruitment tactics. How to safely navigate out of a suspicious and uncomfortable situation. And how to reach out for help at any time. Host awareness events and community forums with anti-trafficking leaders or collectively support a local victim service provider. College students need to take action on your campuses. Join or establish a university club to raise awareness about human trafficking and initiate action through your local community. Consider doing one of your research papers on a topic concerning human trafficking. Request that human trafficking be included in the university curricula. Healthcare providers learn how to identify the indicators of human trafficking and assist victims. With assistance from local anti-trafficking organizations, extend low-cost or free services to human trafficking victims. Resources from the Department of Health and Human Services can, can be found on their website. The media plays an enormous role in shaping perceptions and guiding the public conversation about human trafficking. Seek out media best practices on how to effectively and responsibly report stories on human trafficking. And there's attorneys. Attorneys offer human trafficking victim legal services, including support for those seeking benefits and special immigration status. Resources are available for attorneys representing victims of human trafficking, and most of them work pro bono or free. Why do I continually stress on human trafficking? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been tied up to where you could not free yourself, either physically or mentally? Have you ever been broken to the point that you thought that you could never return to being human again? If you answered yes to any of those two questions, whether trafficked or not, then you may have a slight idea of what it is like, and it must be stopped. This ends the broadcast for me tonight. Thank you for joining me around my campfire. Remember that Thursday night will be the movie Contraland. You won't want to miss this enlightening movie. Craig Salman Sawyer does an amazing job in this movie. Train hard, train smart, to survive, thrive, and stay alive. And this is Kate, signing off until next time.